welcome to another episode of The Influence HR. I'm Missy Walker, your HR influencer, and I'm here to share with you my experience as a career coach and certified human resources practitioner with over a decade of experience. And this is The Influence HR. Welcome, welcome, welcome. There is so much going on in the news in the world of diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. I am overjoyed at what I'm seeing, my friends, my people, my cousins. And, um, you know, for those of you who don't know me, I am a TikToker. And that's not to say that I record a lot of TikToks. I do have a few up, but I'm probably one of those people who scrolls TikTok all day, every day. I'm definitely that person that's sending you TikToks at one o'clock in the morning that you're going to wake up to the next day and say, why were you up so late? Why were you sending me so many TikToks? (laughs) So I'm that friend. And um, last night I was um, watching some TikToks and I stumbled upon some of the TikToks of the reactions to the new... um, the new Little Mermaid movie. And for those of you who do not know, you know, we have our we have our Black princess. We have our Princess Tiana from Disney um, and the Princess and the Frog, who, um, from my understanding, was was um, designed in the likeness of um, Dookie Chase. If you've ever been to Dookie Chase Restaurant um, in Louisiana, um, God rest her soul, but um, and so sort of in her likeness um, with her in mind and all of the other princesses for Disney um, thus far have been um, not particularly women of color. I mean, we've had um, one Asian and um, we've also had um, one Native American, um, but, you know, as far as blacks we've had princess tiana and then the rest of the princesses have been have been white so yeah so if you don't know um if you've never seen little mermaid she's a beautiful princess with red hair so shout out to all the gingers um and she lives in the sea and um she um, is looking to make her way to land um, and she meets a prince and and I, I won't you know do the entire spoiler but she's definitely been depicted as a white woman but in the remake where they're using um, instead of a cartoon sort of figure they're using an actual person and they are using Miss Hallie Bailey not to be confused with Hallie Barry, because there was some confusion and Halle Berry did have to clear that up on Twitter. Uh, but Ms. Halle Bailey, who has the most phenomenal singing voice, is our new Ariel in uh, the movie The Little Mermaid. So Ariel, um, the trailer recently came out. And if you don't know, um, that the initial reactions from a lot of America was not positive from my understanding. So there was um, a lot of backlash about how she can't be, you know, a person of color. She can't, um, you know, we can't deviate from the um, the normal depiction of Ariel, um, who, by the way, is a fictional mystical character. So who can determine 
um, what race she can be, what what color she can be, even what gender she can be, right? So they have elected to have a black um, little mermaid and oh, she's just adorable with her red dreadlocks and everything. So she's still a ginger. Um, and um, contrary to the initial reactions that we started seeing in social media last night while I was perusing TikTok, I was able to see some of the reactions from little girls and from um, women, older women, including grandmothers and great grandmothers, um, seeing this likeness for the very first time. And my word, I actually, I did shed a few tears. I mean, it was really touching to see these little girls, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, is that Ariel? Oh, oh my gosh, is she black? Oh my gosh, she looks like me. Oh my gosh. And uh, so heartwarming. It's, you know, really a reminder to us of how important it is to have representation um and to be considered and um and i'm loving it i don't know if you all have seen it um, but i encourage you to go online and review the trailer maybe even review the reactions that i saw i posted one um on my instagram if you want to um, check that that out at, at the influence hr um, i did post the reaction because oh i was just so moved so um, shout out to Disney for um, g- giving us that representation, for recognizing the importance of that representation, um, and for selecting such a phenomenal actress to um, be our very first Black Ariel on the screen. Shout out to them. That's, that's incredible. You know, when I was uh, in high school, I had this professor and he um he was he was teaching us um a story about uh, psychology and the psychology of dreams and um he what he told us was something that stuck with me um my entire life and um that was that you cannot dream about something that you have not seen so i mean you can dream you know in, in uh maybe close to likeness or you can you know maybe envision what you think something might be or think something uh something looks like by a description but until you actually see it right until you vit until you see it in um whether it's in a picture or in person or in video your depiction in your mind is not going to be as accurate as the depiction in person. And so that was important to me um, because as I was going through life, my my mom, she made a point of making sure I had exposure. Exposure is important because it broadens the lens of life's possibilities of what we are capable of doing, right? And so, you know, we know that when you go different places and do different things, even if it's, you know, I'm, I stop at the Starbucks on 15th Street and today I'm going to stop at the Starbucks on 31st Street. Just doing that one change can create new neural pathways. So when we talk about dreaming, right, and if I've never seen, 
if I've never seen the Statue of Liberty, I may have learned about it. I may have heard about it um, and I've envisioned it. But if I've never seen it, my depiction in my head is not going to be the exact right exact picture of what um, the Statue of Liberty looks like. So as it relates to representation, this is so important because it allows people to see themselves in those areas. It allows people to see that as a possibility. It allows for those who are coming behind us to see that as a path. So I'm I'm just so proud um, of Disney, you know, for doing this for our young girls and boys and actors and actresses uh, because representation it, it, it certainly matters. We know that to be true in business. Um, we know that to be true um, in all walks of life. But particularly, you know, what we talk here about is business. So I encourage you to all um, watch The Little Mermaid when it comes out. Support that movie. We want to come out in big numbers to support um, this effort and demonstrate our support of this new Ariel Ms. Hallie. Bailey. So let's talk a little bit now about a new kind of phenomenon, something that um, is really popular in the workplace news today, and that is the idea of quiet quitting. Quiet quitting, it, it isn't what it sounds like. It isn't, you know, you are ghosting your job or you just go to go to work um, one day and pick, pack up all your stuff and you just never return. Quiet quitting um, is something that, you know, research has shown us that at least half the U.S. workforce is doing right now. Um, they're saying that at least half the U.S. workforce has been qu quiet quitting for over a decade. And for the past two years, the number of workers who have been, have been quiet quitting has soared. Um, and we'll talk more about whether or not we... Um, believe that is due to our current posture, you know, post-COVID. So uh, a lot of researchers believe quiet quitting is due to, you know, poor management, that they're to blame for all of these employees quiet quitting. So what what is quiet quitting? Quiet quitting is essentially, you know, some might look at it as you go to work, you do your job, and nothing more, which... Um, that could be one example of quiet quitting, so not going above and beyond, but more or less, quiet quitting is doing the bare minimum or maybe even a little less than what's required to do your job. So it's underperforming. When someone is quiet quitting, they're doing things like not, not even showing up to meetings or uh, they might you know, be that person that comes late and they leave early and it reduce it uh, results in reduced uh, productivity, and they're just not contributing to team projects like you know others are. They're not participating in the planning. They're not participating in meetings, and they don't have the passion or enthusiasm about their job to go that extra mile to get it done to deliver a stellar work product, as we've all been been taught. So. Quiet quitting, um, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of uh, research is showing that poor management has um, a lot to blame for quiet quitting. 
their uh, managers um, are not recognizing their employees. I, I had a leader at one time um, when I was an HR practitioner at a, in the private sector tell me that an employee's reward is his paycheck. And, and um, you know, if that's the way we're operating as managers, it is no wonder that our employees have been quiet quitting for over a decade. So quiet quitting um, is something that is not new. We're just calling a thing a thing, right? So we've all seen it. We have um, a coworker who um, shows up and does the bare minimum just, just to get by, just to skate by. And quiet quitting is, I think, a, um, you know, might be kind of in alignment with quiet firing when we talk about, you know, people um, being separated um, without, you know, any, any kind of a, a advance notice, so they think. I was always as an HR practitioner taught that people fire themselves, but that's objective. So quiet quitting. Um, and, you know, what can we do? What can we do as a workforce to get employees more engaged? Um, what does that mean to, to get them engaged? You know, are we considering the work-life balance? If your current posture is hybrid, your employees are, are at home, you are entering their home, you are working with them um, in their personal surroundings, right? And there's all types of factors that come into play that wouldn't ordinarily come into play when you are um, in the office, possibly, like a dog or kids coming home from school. Or maybe there are kids um, at home, you know, maybe they have small kids who, who don't attend school or daycare. So those are could be interrupters. But these are things that, you know, when we consider work-life balance, uh, empl employers um, should consider as long as it does not reasonably interfere with uh, them doing their job. So quiet quitting is not new. Um, it's something that managers will have to counter for, for quite some time and hone in on what employees really need. What are they willing to give to go the extra mile to get their jobs done? And how can employers respect employee boundaries? Because there do need to be boundaries in place. And quiet quitting is not the same as boundaries, right? Quiet quitting is not performing your essential job functions um, well as boundaries, establishing boundaries that might look more like, okay, I'm here on time and I leave on time, but when I'm away from work, when it's not my, when the, you are outside of my work hours, that is my time, my personal time for me and my family. And employees do have the right to not work during non-work hours. And, you know, sometimes that may um, look different for, for some people, hourly versus, versus salary, but employers have to be have to be responsive to that right so that is um, quiet quitting and in a nutshell so what do I what do I recommend you know if you have someone who is quietly quitting um, as a manager you need to address it right address it up front have a conversation um, if it is if it's uh, something that is coachable 
coach to it. Follow up that coaching with an email so that you can document it. It is not discipline, but you do want to document it because get the next step could lead to further disciplinary action and address it in that regard, step by step. But if you're the employee and you are quietly quitting, have a conversation. Have a conversation with your supervisor um, and talk about you know, what, what it is that you're looking for. And if that's not something that you want to do, you don't want to have a conversation, then it's okay to move on, to transition into something that will make you happy, um, provide, your, provide sufficient notice and a formal resignation, and bid each other farewell. Because what one opportunity may not be right for you, but it could be the perfect opportunity for somebody else. And I'm a big believer in not holding up space and time in something that is not right for you. If you know it's not right for you, move on. If you know you're not happy, move on. You know, there might be someone out there who is perfectly happy doing just that. Um, and you are taking up time and space that you could be occupying a role that is right for you, something that will make you happy, something that will make you feel satisfied, something that will bring you joy. So that's my advice about quiet quitting. And um, I hope you found this time to get into our question of the week. So this week's question comes from Stacy. Stacy is a small business owner. Her business has less than 50 employees and the average rate of salary is um, $11 an hour um, up to $14 an hour. She would like to know if her employees can be paid um, salary as opposed to hourly. So, Stacey, one thing I would want to know is the intent behind um, changing your exemption status from um, uh, non-exempt to exempt. Um, and that would mean exempt from overtime. Um, and then also I would need to know what state you're in um, because there are or could be some state specific regulations as it relates to salary and the minimum salary required. But if we're relying solely on what's provided to us by the Department of Labor, um, a salary of, let's say, um, $14 an hour. So I'm going to multiply that. And that's 14 times typical week is 40, um, 40 hours in a week. And that is $560 uh, per week. Now, the um, the minimum threshold to be a salary employee is uh, closer to around like 600 and so, like six, 680 or something like that. But I do know that that is under, under the threshold to qualify as a, as a salary. And that's on the, as you say, high end of what your employees earn. It's not just that, though. I mean, you also have to consider the job description. There are certain classifications for work um, that are considered for a salary and there are some that are disqualified from being salary. So it would also depend on the type of work. All that information can be found on the Department of Labor website. You'll want to look closely at the job description and compare it to what your employees actually do. Um, but just, uh, you know, at a glance, I would say that, you know, at $560 a week, um, you'd end up paying more 
um, it, you know, it depending on how much you're paying your employees in overtime, you would end up um, likely paying more. Um, it's closer to like $17 an hour that you would end up paying um, if they do not exceed the 40 hours a week. And that is if they qualify based on the actual work itself. So you'd want to contact uh, possibly a consultant or compensation analysis to determine the return on that investment um, and whether or not you would actually benefit from having your employees um, as salaried um, rather than just paying them for the, the straight overtime. Uh, there could be, you know, a sweet spot that you have that would, you know, be better for you to um, possibly hire additional staff um, and staff appropriately rather than increase the salary and pay them um, an exempt salary if they qualify um, for that. So happy to help further. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on socials um, at um, the HR Influence. And if you have a question that you'd like me to address on the show, you can email it to theinfluencehr at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-I-N-F-L-E-U-N-C-E-H-R.com. And I look forward to speaking to you the next show. Take care.